This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture, from movies on the big screen to whatever it is that you're streaming. Uh, We're broadcasting tonight from the Triple R Studios on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. Big thanks to Fee for the last three hours of Maps. Uh, I'm your host, Flick Ford, and I'm joined in the studio tonight by Screen Harbors, Screen Hubs, <laughs> content lead and film critic, Sylvie Van Wall. Hey, Sylvie. Hello. <laughs> uh, an editor of Metro, Australia's oldest film magazine. It's David Hesland. Welcome, hey, David. How's it going? Well, as you may hear, I've I've had uh, <laughs> some. I've, I've been a little bit sick, so we've got um, a very textured and uh, raspy voice for tonight. But um, I'm very excited for tonight's show. We're gonna we're getting into two new releases and a very interesting interview about an upcoming conference and screening series. So on tonight's show, we're going to review Jonathan Glazer's unsettling new drama, The Zone of Interest, about a Nazi commandment and his wife bringing up their children and tending to their garden next to one of the many concentration camps in Auschwitz. We'll also chat with the directors of Moranga Chacha Jr., Dipped in Black, Derek Lynch and Matthew Horn. Their award-winning short film is being screened this Sunday as part of the Australian International Documentary Conference, which is going to kick off on the same day. Then later tonight, we're going to review the first film to be directed by Ethan Cohen without the involvement of his brother Joel. It's Driveaway Dolls, a comedy starring Margaret Qualley and Geraldine Viswaswanathan. Sorry, I'm struggling with my voice tonight. Who are two friends on a road trip who find a briefcase and end up with some mobsters chasing after them. I hope you enjoy tonight's discussion. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. I'm joined in the studio tonight by Sylvie Van Wall, David Heslin, um, and myself, Flick Ford. So on tonight's show, um, we are covering two new releases and we have an interview coming up for you in just a moment. Now, in Jonathan Glazer's The Zone of Interest, a Nazi commandment, Rudolf, played by Christian Friedel, and his wife, Hedwig, 
uh, Sandra Huller, who um, many listeners would have seen recently in Anatomy of a Fall, build a dream life for their family as the horrific sounds of the concentration camp next door filtered through to their house and garden. The film is loosely based on the 2014 novel by Martin Amos with some crucial departures from the original story. Now, have either of you read the novel that this is based on? Not me, no. Um, I haven't, but I was reading a very interesting discussion about uh, the differences between the novel and the film. And, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, I'd love to talk about it further if you if you have. Yeah, let's get into it. So I suppose with with the film, uh, Glazer's film, he's just narrowed it down to this one couple, really. And yet it's also taking place over lots of different time zones, which we won't go into, but really the focus is on this family unit. It's so controlled, isn't it, with this setup? I, I was talking about the sounds of the concentration camp, and I'm very careful with my words because we don't see anything through throughout the film. Um, there's lots of visual uh, artefacts and there's lots of visual references, um, which we can talk about how they're handled. But on the whole, we do not see any of the violence that's happening in the camps. We simply hear it. And I think saying uh, that might sound a bit reductive, but saying it's just being heard, there is something so powerful about the innate invasive register of sound. I have actually written quite a lot about um, how the horrors of Auschwitz um, have been communicated through oral soundscapes for another film, another Holocaust film, Son of Saul. Do you remember that one? Leslie Neem's film? Did you watch that? I, I haven't seen it, but yes, oh. I, I heard that's doing something similar. In, similar, in some ways. Yeah. 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 Very different in the sense of how immersed we are in the world. I think Glazer's The Zone of interest has a lot more remove and very conscious remove um what did you what did you make of this film david well yeah i thought it was um it's definitely a very interesting perspective and i was kind of thinking while watching it you know that it exists within the context of all of these film depictions of the holocaust that we've seen before um you know right back to alan renee's night and fog and of course um Shoah, another film that's mm. that's doing this kind of you know we're not necessarily seeing anything but like more hearing testimony um so it kind of it's almost like it adds to the patchwork quilt, you know, of our kind of literacy around that and understanding mm. of it. And yeah, I think it's interesting to think about, you know, why Glazer focuses on the characters in this way, you know, in the sort of, you know, the mundanity of their everyday lives. And mm. yeah, whether, um, you know, is he sort of trying to humanise them, make us relate to them a little bit more, or is it actually showing actually the horror of their sort of lack of empathy more clearly because we we see this, you know, this mundanity? Well, I think, yeah, the repetition and the banality of their everyday life and the banality of evil and the, and the routine and also the systems of power and uh, almost like workplace drama of, of what happened is, I, I think, exactly Glazer's point. It's really interesting because we are watching this feels like a very much a film of the present. You know, we have these conflicts. I think sometimes when we're talking about um, the Holocaust, we're... we're we talk about it as though it's this un, unimaginable horror, which it is. But it also, by by talking about Nazis as these sort of, um, as they're often presented on screen, these kind of caricatures, these kind of evil men who've done these awful things, it kind of removes the fact that this happens. This happens in different ways. It's happening now. Mm. And I, I think there's something really powerful about reminding viewers that this is every day and there are structures of power that create this and allow for this to happen. And I think that's the real strength of, of the zone of interest. Yeah, and how easy it is to just ignore what's mm. going on. Um, I'll just 
share something briefly. Uh, I just remembered um, I have very good friends who are German and when we, um, my mum met the parents of my German friend for the first time and, you know, we got to talking about the war and the Holocaust and she said, oh, you know, it's it's so sad that the German people didn't really know what was going on. And they said, okay, hold on, that's something you've heard, that's a myth. We, we did. The German mm. people did know what was going on and we ignored it, you know, because it was just there it was just happening and you get desensitized and you know and i think that's really telling and mm. it happens now as well with yeah things going on so yeah that's so interesting and i mm. think um visuality how it's communicated usually in film you know the film is such a visual medium so often we're so used to seeing that shot you know and, and the kind of as a sometimes it's as a reveal in a horror film and in the drama you know this kind of this idea of creating empathy through exactly like that showing what's happening yeah the lack of visuals works in such an interesting way and, and David you touched upon the remove there's also a re- sense of remove in the performances let's talk about Christian Fiedel and Sandra Hula just amazing um, amazing performances, I think, by the two leads. I really found the dynamic between them so fascinating. I heard um, one reviewer refer to Christian Fiedler looking like um, a young, like a little boy who's playing dress-ups in like the in the army uniform, mm-hmm. and he really does. He's a grown man, I should clarify, but he does look like a little boy. And Sandra Hula, I mean, I'm a massive fan of Sandra Hula. There's a shrine for her at Cinema Nova at the moment, and it's very worthy. <laughs> She's probably one of my favourite actors. Um, what did yeah? What did you make of their performances? I I feel as though he's channeling something that is almost reminiscent um, of a kind of Hanukkah, and he did appear in an earlier Hanukkah film. I'm trying to, I think that was his debut actually. That's the kind of what I thought of. Yeah, I was I was also really struck with the similarities with um, Michael Hanukkah's work while um, while watching this film, particularly in um, I mean Hanukkah often um, avoided um, you know showing violence directly, mm. um, but yeah, I mean getting to the actors, um, it, they're really interesting characters. They, they seem quite inscrutable to me in certain ways, but we do get little in- insights into into their character. Like for instance, um, you know when uh, you know Rudolf Hess calls his wife, you know, and it's kind of bragging about you know something being named after him, and mm. it's this kind of very like. You just kind of see this kind of desperate, like reaching for approval that just seems so yes. familiar, you know? Yes. Um, yeah, it's um, it's really interesting. I mean, one thing uh, that's a key scene towards the end um, where, you know, he's staring to this dark corridor and it's almost as if he sees a vision of, you know, the future where, mm. you know, this is now, a, you know, a Holocaust museum. And once again, we only, we don't even see photos or anything from the Holocaust. We just see, you know, piles of clothes and shoes and things like that. Mm. Um, it's interesting. Let's talk about that for a second. We don't want to give away any. Um, I think that the film needs to be experienced and and for people to make up their own minds. But there's a lot of stylistics that are Glazer's hand. And I did read one review that a friend sent to me that talks a bit about. And there's there's quite a f- there's a few critics who have made the same observation. That Glazer's hand is a little bit too heavy in the sense that there's a lot of stylistics. We have three times in which it goes to I would say a blank screen, but it's a coloured screen. The first time it happens is this. Um, there's some flowers that have rather horrifically they've they've bloomed and they're they're thriving in the soil of um, around near the concentration camps. Of course, there's so many bodies in this soil and. There's a close-up of these flowers and then it, it sort of bleeds into this really bright red on the screen and then we have it happen another two times with a black and a white screen. It, yeah, the criticisms have talked about how he centres himself as an as an auteur too strongly in this film. What do you both think of this criticism? Have you heard this or...? 
no, I haven't heard anything. Mm. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the most I've heard about this film is how great it is. <laughs> Spielberg saying, oh, it's the best Holocaust film since mm. my own Shitless List. And I was well, like, the, wow, okay. The main thing that, yeah, the main takeaway that I think a lot of people have said is that it's, not a, it's a Holocaust film not like other Holocaust films, mm. um, which is an interesting, is kind of getting at the same point, one in a positive light and one in perhaps a negative light. Yeah. I did think um, it was interesting that a film that's so built around sound design doesn't quite give us the stripped back, you know, sound of, mm. of the camp. It, the, instead, there's this kind of like, you know, threatening hum throughout the film. And it that that is maybe a little bit of an overplaying of his hand, or at least, you know, well, maybe it's a, you know entirely justifiable like stylistic decision to kind of, you know, convey this kind of horror. But I just thought like, well, you know, we're seeing this kind of banal everyday life. Maybe, maybe it would be better if we just hear exactly how it is. You know, sometimes you know horrific sounds, sometimes silence. You know, like I don't know, like you can't really ask for something different than what the director was going for. Mm. But yeah, I think there maybe is some room for criticism there. I think the scenes that affected me the most, and this is uh, kind of an odd, uh, something I wasn't expecting, because of course we've all we all know this history, but. Um, in the boardroom, when they're just talking and in the meetings, there's so many scenes of this, when they're just talking flatly about numbers and there's a conversation at one point that's talking about how they can improve the efficiency, they're talking about oven systems, there's another that's talking about the exact number of people, although they don't use that word, who could fit on the trains and how many trains will be coming. And it's in the thousands, you know, 3,000 on this train uh, every, you know, however many hours. And it's, I think for me, the numbers and the specifics actually affected me the most and we we haven't even talked about the fact that there's also so many children in this film that are in this idyllic beautiful home life and have this there's this one scene and it's an extended scene in which there's a little boy playing in his room and he's just hearing everything that's happening and I think there's some real moments of uh beautiful meditative connection with this history in a way that allows you to to feel that horror and to to engage with this history and to think about how it plays out now. I do agree with some of the criticisms, though, that at times maybe Glazer's uh, aesthetic choices tip into a different realm. I'm not sure how I feel about it, actually. I'm kind of on the fence. I feel as though the sound is really interesting as well, Um, not just the sounds of the concentration camp. I mean the actual music, if we could say, or or musical effects. I'm not sure what the word is for it. There's this weird drone sound. Did you notice that in some scenes? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, what do you think, Sylvia? Was that you know something you that stood out to you? Like I, I haven't yeah. actually seen the film. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm going through vibes alone. Yeah. I. Yeah. I mean, the the it's very unsettling. There's no doubt about that. And I think that's that's clear clear the desired effect. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like, it's it's interesting that there's so many different ways of of presenting this kind of reality, mm. and like different you know different frameworks through through which you can see it. Um, and you know, I even I even felt while watching it at times like you know wondering what the point was in mm. some ways. Interesting. Um, and and yeah, I think it's definitely a film that's in, that's improved. You know, with reflection you know looking back on it i think it's really stayed with me Mm. Um, well i highly recommend watching this for sandra huller's performance and and um also um oh i've blanked on his name sorry um william fiedler 
Um, Christian Friedel. Christian Friedel, sorry. Um, I think that they're really interesting, particularly a scene on a jetty in which um, there's a you get a sense of the power dynamic. You know, the the person behind the the leader. I think there's something very interesting going on there. Um, I'm still making up my mind on on this film, but um, the Zone of Interest is in cinema. Came out on Thursday, and I highly recommend checking it out. Um, you're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sylvie Van Wall, David Heslin and myself, Flick Ford. So, uh, the Coen Brothers... This is uh, this is the first time they've, they've kind of split up, isn't it? I think. Silly. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> the band is split up. Um, mm. This is the first film that's going to be direct that has been directed and written by Ethan Cohen without the involvement of his brother Joel. It's Drive Away Dolls. It is a comedy starring Margaret Qualley and Geraldine Viswathan. Wanathan as uh, two friends on a road trip. It's got it's a funny little mix. I mm. saw it just the other night, and I'm still um, buzzing from the sound. We, and we did hear one of the tracks that plays in that film. That was Latika with uh, Er de Bedroom Dancing. So Sylvie, this was a film that you recommended. Um, oh yes. Tell us a bit about it. Oh, I love it. Um, so oh yeah. Well, first of all, it's about um, two lesbians going on a road trip. Um, basically, we we meet. Two very opposite people, Jamie, who's played by Margaret Qualley, and she's like a free spirit. Uh, she's cheating on her girlfriend, and the girlfriend finds out, and they break up. Um, the girlfriend's played by Suki, who's um uh, sorry. The girlfriend is called Suki, who's play, played by Beanie Feldstein um, Who, from Booksmart. Yeah, yeah. I, she's and she's in a lot of other smaller roles, isn't she? Yeah, but she's hilarious. She's great. She needs to be in more things. Um, <laughs> and and Jamie's demure friend Marion, who's uh, Geraldine. Is Wonathan, who's actually an Australian actress, um, oh. doing great in the States. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Marion's a bit more demure and is not as uh, outgoing. Like, she doesn't like to go to the dyke bars that Marion goes <laughs> to. Um, but they decide, you know, Marion's depressed, hasn't had sex in years, Jamie wants a fresh start, and they go on a road trip to Tallahassee. Well, let's, uh, um, let's yeah. hear a little clip from it now. I saw this movie once where they come across this box. <laughs> And they opened the box. The case. And it was like really, really bad. I just want to know what's going on. I bet it's locked. We just want to locate your friends. Who are you, jackass? It's when women curse like that. Those girls just drove off with something we need. Who are you? Save the sanctimony and hand over the million smackers. You should see what's in here. I feel like that does really um, capture the mood of driveway mm. dolls. Um, Sylvie, what did you? We've talked a bit about the cast. What did you? Yeah. What did you think about the film? I just thought it was pitch perfect. You know, it's like this zany sort of B movie homage that's it's got like John Waters tones, Russ Russ Meyer tones, and it's um, it's also just like a lot like 
early Coen Brothers stuff. <laughs> and you sort of start to think like, oh, you know, like maybe Ethan was the one with all these more, like the silly sensibility. And mm. yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but he also wrote it with his wife, Trisha Cook, um, who identifies as queer. So I think a lot of the, like the material is coming from her. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, insider baseball about, like, <laughs> lesbian stuff from the 1990s. Um, and it's just great. And, like, everyone in the in the lead cast and the support cast are really, like, they know what sort of film they're doing. They're nailing the assignment. Mm. They're, like, going for it. Pedro Pascal has a <laughs> tiny role, but it's so iconic. And I feel like he I mean, just he did it to be in a, well. in a Cohen movie. And I get it. And it's it's so funny. Yeah. yeah. There is so much... Um, there's so much legacy with the Coen brothers, and we're talking a bit about auteurs before with Jonathan Glazer, but there is a sense that audiences will come to this maybe expecting a more um, Coen brother-esque film. I do think it's a, quite a significant departure from that. It's way kookier, like you say, yeah. um, in, a, in a fantastic way. Mm. I was thinking, and it'd be great to hear your thoughts on this, Sylvie, but this film seems very much in conversation with a bit more of a trend into more interesting female characters on screen, specifically sure. queer women. And I just thought it kind of seemed to be kind of like, you know, we had bottoms earlier in the year. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that kind of trend. It's, it's, it's not in, an exciting trend as far as storytelling goes. But do you think that it's in conversation with those or earlier films? Um, no, I definitely think that's, that's a good assessment. It's... Um... You know, it's funny that because it's uh, something that was written in the year 2000 and then kept in a drawer and then the pandemic hit and oh. Ethan and his wife were like, OK, let's pick this up again and have a look. And they yeah decided to do it, but keep it set in the 1999 time period, which mm. that's so interesting. Um, but, you know, the politics of that time and now uh, sort of blend well together. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of what's happening on on the screen and drive away dolls will resonate with modern audiences. Um, yeah, it's also interesting. You, you mentioned like, it's not like other Coen brothers films. I, I read someone's, uh, review that said in the Coen brothers films, uh, it's generally, you know, there's, pretty decent female characters but they're really like you know they're in control and the men are the dumb ones mm. uh, and this sort of flips that a bit which I really like because <laughs> I just love seeing messy women on screen yes, like yeah. you know just dipshit asshole women <laughs> there's, there's a lot of that in this movie so, it definitely yeah. is I, um, I was thinking a bit about the time period for this because I felt as though maybe there was a bit of displacement there I often did while watching this forget that it was like a more current film than it felt because mm. it seemed to have for me this real like 70s drug-fueled aesthetic sure. to it yeah. which is like both its strengths but then the fact that I completely forgot that it was set in more recent times. I don't know if that is like a criticism. Maybe it takes away from it a little or maybe it's misplaced. What are, you, what are your thoughts, David? Yeah, it was, it was interesting, these little sequences throughout the film, um, you know, kind of like hippie, psychedelia, you know, oh, colours, yes. shapes. And, Miley Cyrus. Yeah. <laughs> and we sort, of, we sort of see as the film progresses, like, you know, maybe it's a spoiler, but we understand why, you know, towards the end of the film, mm. um, you know, that, that's a key plot point. But, yeah, that really reminded me of some of the sequences in The Big Lebowski. Um, yes. You know, the, the bowling pins, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, but yeah, it, it's got a very sort of like free vibe. It's it's a very yeah, it's a film that doesn't take itself too seriously. But yeah, is is a lot of fun and yeah, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, some of the dialogue is just so funny. Like, will nobody think of Curly? Will nobody save Curly? <laughs> <laughs> um, and the transitions 
what did you think of the transitions, like all the the, the wipes and the the stars? And oh the cuts yeah, and I, like PowerPoint gone wild. Yeah, I was really into that. I um, it's really interesting. So my position on this film is I loved all of those elements. I had such a fun time watching this. I saw this mm. last night. I had a great time watching this. But I I think I. It like swept me up on this road trip, and I love the a lot of the characters. But I feel like it was so messy, maybe too messy for my <laughs> my analytical brain, because I was like upset with things that didn't quite land. That I also have to say that I really enjoyed it. So I don't know where I sit with this. The the kind of the finicky part of my brain says I don't like this film. The the kind of just the pure enjoyment, I enjoyed it immensely. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm so undecided. What do you think? Yeah, um, one thing that kind of occurred to me, and and I don't know if this is like way way off the mark but i know there was some complaints like in recent years about you know depictions of sex in hollywood films and how like you know hollywood's become really puritanical and you know mm. i don't know if there was all that much truth to it you know i think they seem to be watching too many marvel films and stuff well <laughs> yes you know what do you expect um but yeah um this film was you know, pretty sexy, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, honestly, yeah. One of the horniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> it was so good, you know? Um, yeah, because there are a lot of people either complaining of cinema being too puritanical or people out there saying it should be more puritanical and, you know, like people will like who make films will start responding to that and I just don't want that to happen. <laughs> like, they need to be horny. <laughs> I also, like, we... I've love the performances by Margaret Crawley yeah. and um, Geraldine um, Viswanathan. They were had fantastic chemistry. Oh, yes. And I, I, I thought, yeah, yeah totally. And you, you mentioned how sexy it is. Their chemistry on screen is wonderful and they're able to occupy both spaces. Like, they yeah. start off well, I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but like there's a, there's a there's a vibe. <laughs> yeah, they're like and, the odd couple. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and they I, they actually only they met initially just doing Zoom auditions because it was pandemic, you know. Uh, in pre-production during the pandemic. So they, they did their chemistry read on Zoom and I, can, I imagine that would be so hard to do. And, you know, and then luckily it worked out great and obviously it went gangbusters once they met up. So Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel as though there's going to be... Um, I, I mean, I'd last seen Margaret Qualley in Made. Do you remember that TV series? No. Um, so Margaret Qualley is Andy McDowell's daughter. Oh, I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she, um, yeah, she... she was um, the star of this show, Made, which was a TV series about a young woman who's um, struggling. And I got really into it. And I just think she's a fascinating character. But she's so different to to Jamie, who she plays in Drive yes. Away Dolls. Like, yeah. I haven't seen a character like Jamie on screen, I don't think. It's Yeah, she's a great character. It was giving me yeah. Thelma and Louise vibes. That's what I was oh, thinking. Oh, totally. I'm, Very yeah, much with her on a road trip. But yeah. also what she's wearing, with these like, high-rise jeans. Oh, the 90s tank. styles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yep, it played sure. in really well. I had an even more um, absurd kind of association in my head when I was watching it, like when they're driving the car together and bickering. I was thinking, it's kind of a bit like Shrek and Donkey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to go there. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> but there's, uh, there is a lot of different references in, in um, Driveway Dolls. I'm not 100% sure it works, but Sylvie, your enthusiasm for this film is kind of winning me over. It's it's all-time high, honestly. Like, I, <laughs> you know, I just... Sometimes films are just, like, extremely me. Yes. <laughs> I, I can't really explain it better than that. I mean, I obviously wrote a review as well, which I hope is articulate, but when I talk about films that I really like, I'm like, it's just... It's just, it's just me. It got me, <laughs> you know... And I, I also, um, as soon as I got out of the cinema, 
uh, I texted one of my friends who's uh, dating a woman and, you know, they've just started a new relationship and it's beautiful. And I'm like, you guys have to see this film. Like, this yes. is the lesbian film you have to see, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, yeah that's I'm, my recommendation. I think um, I think a lot of people are going to love this film. And I just love that it exists, actually. Mm. But, um, yeah, if you want to check it out, Drive Away Dolls is also came out on Thursday. Um, so check it out. It's in, in cinemas everywhere. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. And soon we're going to be chatting with the directors of Maranka uh, Junu, uh, Dipped in Black, which is going to be playing at the Australian International Documentary Conference. So stay tuned. You're listening to Primal Screen. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sylvie Van Wall, David Heslin and myself, Flick Ford. So the Australian International Documentary Conference kicks off this Sunday at ACME and one of the films being screened is um, the Marunka uh, Tachu Juno, Dipped in Black, directed by Derek Lynch and Matthew Horn, and it, Thorne. And it is my great pleasure to welcome Matthew and Derek to the show now. Hello. Hey, how are you? Very well. Hey. Hello. 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 Um, can you hear me? <laughs> I can indeed. It is um, such a pleasure to have you both on. I watched your film today and it has, it has gotten under my skin. I should mention this is an award-winning short film, tremendous piece of cinema. So I heard that you two met on a dance floor and this film starts on a dance floor. So how much of the, this doco did you did you want to bring part of your... I mean, it's obviously based on your life, Derek, but how much were yes. you bringing from how you both met? Uh, no, it's not, in the, it's not in the film at all. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk through how, um, how this came about then? Your turn, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's your turn. No, it is my turn. We take turns in these questions, so it's my turn. Um, so we met back in 2018... Um, around this time, actually, because it's the Adelaide Fringe Festival happening right now. So we met around this time six years ago on the dance floor um, at the artist at the artist bar. So where all the artists hang out after after you know after their gigs. And so yeah, I was happened to be out and yeah, and I saw Matthew on the dance floor, and then you know. Made my way up to the dance floor. We danced together. He was with his friend, and we started introducing each other. I asked him, you know, what brings him to the artist bar, and he was like, "I'm a filmmaker." I'm like, "Great, I'm an actor." And and then we added each other. We um, on social media, but before we added, we were like getting to know each other. We were like asking questions and where we were from and where we grew up and we were like getting right into you know asking each other about how many siblings we have so all the family questions and then fast forward to six months later he messaged me I totally forgot who he was he had an idea to film in Alice Springs and I'm like who the hell are you so I ignored it and then I think two months three months after that I then went on my socials, I was out having a late night one Friday night and none of my friends were online and I was like, oh, this guy's online. So I messaged him and 
we started chatting and I said, oh, can I, can I give you a call? And yeah, I, I rang him um, through Facebook Messenger. And then I was like, what are you doing up this light? Like at this hour, this hour in the morning, like 3 a.m. And he's like, oh, I just woke up. And I was like, where are you? And he's like, I live in Berlin. And yeah, and then we started chatting more after that. And then I started calling him and then we that's how Dipped in Black was born through our conversation. I love that each other. Yeah, well I love on the other side of the world. <laughs> I love that your film has these these beautiful com this beautiful combination of dance and cinema and you're you're presenting it in this wonderful space. Um and really affecting Im imagery that plays throughout the film. It's it's made history. Dipped in Black has made history. It's become the first ever film to win the Silver Bear Jury Prize and the Teddy Award for Best Queer Short Film. Something that stood out to me was that so much of this film, as you've touched upon, is based on on your life, Derek. And it's told. It's so interesting having that as short, told as a short short film. Matthew, were you? Um, <laughs> I'm a big fan of short film and I think there's something really amazing with being economical in time and being able to communicate a truth about someone's life, particularly in documentary. Did you have hesitations about how you'd bring Derek's story to the screen in this format? No, actually. I don't know. I think, you know, we just didn't have enough money for anything else, to be honest. Um, that's the nature of independent cinema in Australia, I guess. Um but no, it always felt like it was what it was meant to be. You know, as we were making the film, it always felt, I don't know, that it was just going to the place it was always inevitably going to go to. And I think there's something really nice about about the short format in the way that you leave people always wanting more, you know. It's been amazing that during the film, you know, around the world and had all these responses to it. It's been amazing how many of them were, I just, I just couldn't believe it ended. <laughs> mm. And um, and I think that was, yeah, really beautiful and leaves the door for other things in the future. Mm. Something that stood out to me was the, you know, a lot of uh, one of the themes that runs through the um, upcoming Australian International Documentary Conference is this this question of courage. And your your film is going to be screened alongside a Q and A with you both, which is uh, I think a fantastic way to see this because I, I I definitely had lots of questions after watching this that I, I wanted to ask you. And something that stood out to me was this how the, how there's um queer identity and 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 specifically your experience of queerness Derek being presented on screen you're in you you return to community to shoot this so why did that feel in being in that vulnerable space Is it, has it opened up these conversations for you um yeah it has it it's opened up a lot of conversations i mean a lot of them are like yeah, we knew, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we knew all along. But for me, you know, it, you know, growing up remotely, it's not talked about. It's especially in, you know, remote Indigenous communities, it's not talked about openly. You know, it's always brushed under the, you know, carpet. And, you know, and I've always felt, you know, um, a strong attraction to same sex. So, me hiding it for a very long time wasn't it wasn't a um yeah I couldn't hide it because <laughs> it was so obvious 
um, because I, you know, hang around with my sisters and my cousins and, you know, um, but it it opened up a lot of conversations for this next generation and, you know, make them feel that, you know, that they can feel this, um, that the door's been opened for Mm -hmm. them to have have these conversations and not, not, be brushed under the carpet and not shy away and not be, um, you know, looked over and, you know, there's, yeah, looked over and not, you know, for them to be listened to as well. Mm. You know? But yeah, it, it, you know, there's a lot of conversations opened up. Mm. I... I absolutely love um, the scene in which you you're wearing this gold dress, and it it just stands out so beautifully in the night shot. Um, was it something where you were? Did you have? Um, I'm just curious because you, you actually your background is that you're um, obviously as this covers in the film, but you're a dancer, you're an actor, you're a singer. Were you? Was this so different when it's your own life and you're playing yourself? <laughs> In the film, it's a documentary about you. So, was, was you were you feeling different about that performativity element? I was actually nervous. I was like, you know, performing in front of my own community. Like I've performed mm. all over the world. I've I've toured on in theatre and I've performed and I've sang on stage. I've, you know, but I've never done something like that in front of my family and my community. And mm. to do it in film, it was like it was a whole nother it was a whole nother feeling as well. You know, mm. I, you know, we're we're focused on on shooting other other scenes and and you know we're working and it's like that part didn't really get to me until that night. And you know, it was like, should I do it? Should I not do it? But there were conversations leading up to it. You know, I was sitting down with my sisters and my you know, cousins, and I was like, you know, there is a scene coming up, and I'm really <laughs> nervous that, you know, that mum's going to be there sitting down, and my brothers, and they was like, and they, they went away and had those conversations with my family, and they came back, and they was like, it's fine, and I was like, I don't want to do it, and they were like, just do it, like, it's, we want to see you, we want to see you, you know, do Tina, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah, all right, I'll do it, yeah, but in the first, when we first shot, because we shot it in two different times. First shot that we went back, the first time was back in 2019, and I did it with a, I performed in front of a smaller crowd because I didn't want anyone to be there. But the second time around, the entire community was there, and it was it was special. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt, I kind of felt like I was prepared from the first round to coming back. Second round, I was still a bit nervous. I still didn't want to do it. But, you know, the support of my family, my entire community gave me to do it was like, okay, I can go out there now. I can do it. I've got my dogs with me. And, you know, and, you know, the, the lights were on and I couldn't, I couldn't see who. The, <laughs> the best part was the lights were, you know. Demon for it. I was going to ask. Matt, you're an award-winning artist and filmmaker and photographer, and I know that a lot of your work centres on this contemporary idea of Australian, um, Australianness and identity, spirituality, masculinity. I, I thought that this was such an interesting short film to engage with the question of masculinity, and I wonder, I wonder if you like you always had this in the back of your mind, or it wasn't until you met Derek that this kind of came to fruition. 
in terms of the the idea of making a film with him or no like okay. I, I think that exploration that you've got in the film of of queerness alongside um, questions of, of, of grief and you are exploring an elements of Australian history through this in a, in a really interesting way where it's focused on Derek but we do get a sense of time and place um, with him returning to country and I, like if, if it, your work focuses on that so much so I was just curious did you always want to make a film that told the Indigenous, you know, we, we've got a black history to, and, and present and, and yeah. I'm just curious, is this something you always wanted to work on? You know, I mean, I grew up as a with these very fleeting connections to country or to First Nations community, um, but nothing really concrete. Mm. And I kind of fled Australia um, to live in Europe for a while, trying to maybe in hindsight escape from something I couldn't understand or something I couldn't connect with in the ways that I wanted to connect with it. Mm. Um and then, I don't know, I always had this, this feeling that there was more to know and more to understand and that I had a, a kind of an obligation to that. Mm. And I realised that when I was telling my stories, they weren't very good and I wasn't a very good filmmaker speaking from myself, but I seemed to be somehow safer when I could help others to speak. Um and then when we when I met Derek, I just felt we had this beautiful, strong connection that wasn't about where we came from or who we were. It was it was more about God, like it's nice to dance with you. Mm. <laughs> and then, you know, Derek was very clear about wanting to tell his story. Um and then it felt like it was this kind of furtive pathway for me to learn a lot, you know, and learn a lot of really, I guess, essential reading, I would say, for white Australians. Mm. And he was so generous about it, you know, and so patient and so understanding of all of the mistakes that I made along the way. Mm. And, you know, he's a incredible teacher and carries immense, immense cultural and human knowledge. And um, it was just like a a long process of learning and coming to understand each other. And, you know, Derek always talks about it being this thing like Naprichi Naprichi, which means um, you give me, I give you. And I felt like, you know, obviously Derek gave so much. He gave his story. He, he gave a doorway into his culture and his community, you know, and then I gave him this little doorway into, into filmmaking back. There, and it was yeah, quite beautiful. Yeah, that is that definitely is communicated in in your beautiful short film, and it was um it was a pleasure to watch it today. It's very much got under my skin, and for listeners who do want to to see it, it's going to be playing as part of the Australian International Documentary Conference that kicks off this Sunday. It's screening alongside um, lots of really interesting documentaries, both shorts and feature films across the. Um, across the conference, um, I highly recommend checking out um, their website, aidc.com.au, and the screening on Sunday will be followed by a Q&A. Derek and Matthew, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. 
Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sylvie Van Wall and David Heslin and myself, Flick Ford. On tonight's show, we reviewed Jonathan Glazer's unsettling new drama, The Zone of Interest. We also reviewed Ethan Cohen's new film, Drive Away Dolls. Uh, Both of those films came out in cinemas on Thursday. And finally, we wrapped up with chatting to the directors of Marunka Tatcha Junu. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 